Hello, and welcome to another episode of Uva Radio News Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Niall, and I'm here today with Nora. Hello, Nora. Hi, Niall. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? How was your uh, exam week? Um, it is <laughs> still continuing, Oh gosh, actually. I'm so sorry. Still have assignments next week. So, yes, I'm currently in the motions of it all. Yeah, <laughs> but well, here I am. <laughs> thank you for making time in, in, your, in your busy schedule for the news of the world. <laughs> thank um, you very much. So, listeners, this week we have a packed schedule for you. We are going to start with a brief look at the uh, ongoing situation in Nigeria regarding the protests and the um, killing of protesters by government forces there. We'll then briefly jump to Poland to have a look at the recent ruling in Poland's uh, top court against abortions. And then we're going to move on to Bolivia for a bit of good news. And finally, we're going to end with a chat about Netflix and the way that it might be changing not just the movie industry, but our entire lives. Um, so, Nora, kick us off. So, last week on Uva News, we had Marley and Michaela discussing um, the ongoing SARS protests in Nigeria. So, just to follow up from that, because every day there's something new in the news, um, there is now a 24-hour lockdown in Nigerian cities, especially in uh, the capital. Right. And uh, on Wednesday... Um, soldiers went out and they fired into the open air at protesters that were still out um, during the curfew. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's been reported that about 25 people had been wounded and it's unknown how many have been killed. Right. That's. I mean, that seems like... What's going on here? So I know that um, it seemed like the protest against SARS, this police force had succeeded insofar as the government promised to disband? Yes, yes, of course. You see, I think immediately when you see that headline, it looks great. But the problem is, like, people, this is not the first time that people are protesting SARS. It's actually been going on for years because right. th it has always been this problem. This is just the first time that it's essentially global. You know, I think that the Black Lives Matter movement um, may have boosted this more so onto the global stage. But SARS has been rebranded rebranded about four times. Right. So they've rebranded it again but essentially the problem is that they're just giving it a different name so it hasn't gone no 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 it hasn't gone and even like the same people are still in this new organization right right so it's really just a bit of a, a, a you know a pr move by the nigerian government and yeah, clearly people yeah, aren't course. buying it yeah and the nigerians especially young nigerians it's like they're more so looking for a social revolution at this point they're yeah. saying like SARS is like just one little part of the problem. Like they're talking about education, right. healthcare, right. everything else. Right. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, it's it's a familiar pattern to the other protests we've seen around the world where one moment can, you know, like the um, the killing of George Floyd yes, in the US. Yes, exactly. This, yeah. this one moment opens a Pandora's box and yeah. suddenly all of you, there's this outpouring of anger. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a domino effect. Really. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I also think at the moment um, during the pandemic, like as you can see, it was the same with Black Lives Matter um, in Nigeria. A lot of the protesters are young college students. Right. And I like I was thinking, like, is this because, you know, universities are closed and everything like people are at home and maybe they have less time and they're just like they're kind of stuck. Mm. So they're thinking about the state of the world, especially young people, because they're thinking about the state of their future. Yeah. So I think that might have also helped uh, boosted these protests. Right. Because there's just a general feeling at the moment of despair. Yes. And yes, kind of, of feeling a little bit caged by not just not just in our houses, but I guess feeling a little bit caged by the system. Yes, 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 for sure. Yes, okay. definitely. All right, well, we'll 
keep an eye on that and listeners will update you if we as the situation progresses but um take me to poland yes so poland's top court has ruled abortions um almost completely illegal so they're only allowed in extreme circumstances which is like incest um some cases of rape and if like there's also it's quite like vague because also like if the woman's health um is affected then she can have an abortion okay but uh, see there's always that's always like a sticky situation yeah if you know what i mean because it's like um how how do you prove that the woman is um in danger enough you know what i mean who gets to decide yes 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 that's the problem who gets to decide yes yeah right and that's obviously terrible news um it's it's strange I, i when these things develop i'm always left wondering where the condemnation is where the pressure is where the action is on behalf of other EU countries, for example, but also the EU as a political body. I mean, these kind of erosions, because you said that this was um, Poland's top court mm-hmm. and it, they just kind of, they have mandated this. They've given an order and it's now come into law. There's no dem- there's no sense of a democratic process behind these things. No, 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 not at all. Yes. And like there are uh, protests going on at the moment. Right. You know, a lot of women have taken to the streets to protest this because I think this will also affect uh, countries bordering Poland yes. you know like a lot of the time um when abortion is made illegal in a country um a lot of women like probably wealthier women will go across the border so maybe in Poland they'll go to Germany right. to have an abortion right yeah so it, so yes. it is it, it is, is yeah, yeah yeah it is like it's going to affect like other European countries so the question yeah. is will they do something to kind of address the the root cause of the situation mm-hmm. but I mean it's very difficult isn't it we'd all love a world where some kind of deus ex machina can step in and fix the injustices that we see. But ultimately, Poland is a sovereign country and there's, I guess, a limit to how much the EU or neighbouring countries like Germany can do. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah. Okay, well, again, let's just hope that this doesn't last and that some sort of pushback can be effective in in reversing things again and, and getting Poland back to a state of kind of more freedom. Yes, yes. Well, I think if uh, if protests continue, maybe, maybe, or maybe if there's like more uh, uh, pressure from other European yeah. countries, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, look, the, both of those are um, bad news for democracies, but we've got some good news for democracy listeners. Um, in Bolivia, there's been some very good news. In uh, October, so about a few days ago, in fact, the recent presidential elections were won by Luis Arce. Um, he is the leader of the MAS party, which is a progressive left-wing party. Yeah. And he won the election decisively by about 20 points over his right-wing rivals. Now, the reason this is really interesting is because in November of last year, Evo Morales, who was the president of MAS at the time and the president of Bolivia, was overthrown in a coup by the police and the military who then installed a right-wing evangelical in his place to to try and run things, at which point it spells danger for Mm -hmm. Bolivian democracy. There was fears amongst the the wider population that this kind of right-wing puppet government uh, was A, going to pursue a bunch of policies that were going to be very against the interests of normal Bolivians, but B, people didn't even know if they would be able to hold elections. Yeah. If they would, if you know, it was meant to be a transitional government, but whether or not they would sort of um, 
stick to the spirit of that and eventually hold elections, no one knew. Yes, yes. And especially um, the effect that it had on the indigenous community. Yes. Who is the majority. But I believe that the the previous president, uh, she was not indigenous, right? I'm, I'm not actually sure, but you're right in that there was... It was a really bad time for the indigenous population of Bolivia mm-hmm, mm-hmm. under this right wing government. Um, so, I mean, first of all, there were protests against this coup and dozens of mass supporters were massacred by the police and the military. Um, but you also had it, it's kind of like with with a parallel with Trump. You have this right winger get into power their rhetoric suddenly becomes validated by the fact that they have a figurehead for that rhetoric as the president, as someone powerful in the country. And all the racists suddenly feel empowered to be openly racist. So yes, you're, you're yes, right, yes. there was a lot of ra- uh, race, uh, racially fueled crime against indigenous people in the streets. And it was kind of a real uptick in that. And generally, a miserable situation under this government in Bolivia for anyone who wasn't upper class and, frankly, light-skinned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but there was good news. And this yes. is this is just such a, it's such a wonderful tale of the power of democracy. So first of all, like, the reason there were elections is because they may have been the party in power, but the people, by a majority, were against them. So working-class Bolivians put a lot of pressure on this government. Yeah, yeah, they did. I saw that... Um they did a lot of strikes also last year because like strikes, they're the backbone yeah. of like transport and everything. Yeah, yeah the so the country class. like they shut make the down. Country run. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so there was pressure there. There was pressure from outside other governments, and eventually these elections were held, and they were fair elections. And the wonderful thing is that the left wing uh, progressive mass party who were overthrown in November 2019 stormed straight back into power as soon as the moment came for the people to have another say. Mm. Um, and it's lovely to see that just whether you're a supporter of progressive politics or not, I think we can all be encouraged by seeing such a demonstration of pure democracy. Yes, yes, it's great. The people are given an option. They make their voice very, very clear. And it's good, you know, I I think it's difficult to make the argument that this isn't good news for Bolivia. Under Morales, the mass party uh, reduced poverty in Bolivia from something like 60% to 35 percent which is a a drastic change and the way they did that is they nationalized some of bolivia's natural gas Uh, industry yes and then they use that money to invest back in society yes and they improve people's lives yes okay but um what do you think will happen now with the previous president because um there is history right of um um i think who was it um one of their previous presidents then went to mexico afterwards yeah Right. So like what's going to happen to her? Because if she is very much disliked in Bolivia, is there a fear? I was reading that um, she might take refuge somewhere in the US. Yes. I think there's a history in Bolivia of uh, ousted presidents seeking refuge in the US to escape justice in Bolivia. So that wouldn't be unexpected. As for what is ahead on the road for Bolivia, part of the part of the one of the other factors like with Trump and like with frankly Boris Johnson and other right wingers around the world is all of their right wing kind of rhetoric meant nothing when covid hit okay and bolivia has the third highest death toll in terms of per capita per yes. capita death rates from yes. covid in the world and that was part of the reason why people are so angry and so you know so desperate for change and why they voted mass back in but 
that hasn't gone away. So that's a problem that Bolivia still faces. How do they now contain the virus and, and start to uh, try to resolve the situation there and prevent more deaths, more infections? And there's also still in Bolivia a lot of poverty, a lot of economic issues that need to be fixed. So there's a long road for Bolivia ahead and a difficult road. But there's someone leading them down that yeah, path. Yeah, they're on a good start. Yeah, right? someone yeah. leading them down that path who actually cares about people. Yes. And so that's got to be a good thing. Yes, yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's Bolivia. Um, and we'll finish today. There was something I wanted to talk about uh, regarding Netflix. So I came across a piece of news that is, frankly, unless you're into sort of market. I don't know. Are you into market trading? I'm not. I have to say. No, me neither. No, I'm not the biggest fan. No. You know. sure. <laughs> Gambling. It's not a good idea. Yeah, not really my cup of tea. No, no, no. Um, but... There, and normally I would have looked over this news because I'm not into it and it's it's not that interesting to me. But Netflix recently reported its third quarter earnings. Very interesting. Um, what was actually interesting about it is they did worse than they feared. And Netflix's um, share price went on quite a steep drop after it announced these earnings. And that was crazy to me because the reason that its share price went down is because Netflix only added another 2 million uh, new subscribers between July and September this year. Oh, yeah, that is very surprising. It is surprising because it's still a lot. And you also factor in that between the three months of April to June, it added 10 million. So peak pandemic, Netflix subscribers flooded in. And most of those subscribers who flooded in then may have signed up later in the year, um, but signed up earlier because the pandemic kind of just made it a more attractive prospect. What I thought was interesting was the fact that the markets judge Netflix to have done badly, despite the fact that it is still adding millions of subscribers. Uh, so they have very high expectations. Very high expectations. Yes, yes. And that tells us something really interesting about okay. just how much Netflix and other streaming companies like Prime, like uh, Disney Plus, have come to dominate entertainment. People... Oh, they have completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think even like the language around it, like nowadays, like people used to say, I'm going to go home and watch TV now people just say like Netflix. Yeah. Like, oh, do you want to come over? We'll watch some Netflix. Yeah. It's, you know? Yeah. It's <laughs> that kind of, it's entered common parlance. It's, it's sort of a, um, an integral part of our culture now. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it set me worrying. I'm worried about it. What are you worried about? Are you worried about the kind of the creativity in that industry? Like for smaller independent films and TV shows yeah. is going to disappear. Yeah. That's, okay. that's a massive part of it because I think, as an independent filmmaker or if you're making a TV show, um, you rely on, especially if you're a filmmaker, you rely on cinema tickets to kind of make it a worthwhile adventure and to make, to secure the investment in your project, you need to be able to say, well, don't worry, you know, we're going to sell X number of tickets, we're projected to get this. But when cinemas are closed, well, what do you do then? You're left at the mercy of the streaming giants. Yes, and the thing is, the way that people watch um, films and especially TV shows on Netflix is very different than how people used to watch it, say, Absolutely. 10 years ago. Like the producers want people to binge watch. So yeah. because of that, they're being made differently. So if you're an, someone that wants to do something kind of different, you can't really afford to take that risk. Yes. You know, what's um, 
There's this show everyone's talking about. Remind me of the name. America. Uh, Emily in Paris. Emily in Paris. <laughs> yes. Okay. Emily in Paris, which is, I think it has the same creators of Sex in the City. Oh, okay. So it's kind of, you know, in that vein. Right. Haven't seen it. I've only read a lot of very, very bad reviews about it. Right. It's supposed to be like, you know, so bad. It's good. But what's interesting about Emily in Paris is that it's one of these shows where even people working on it have kind of come forward and said, we know that it's not good but it's binge worthy. Right. And that's the thing. Like it got loads of views. People watched it really, really quickly. Right. But they didn't make it in terms of like being a good show. It was just more so uh, what makes you click next. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like a lot of Netflix shows now, the way that they're made is differently that the last minute there'll be like a very dramatic cliffhanger. Yeah. And then your brain is like, oh, like I I have to finish the story. Yeah. I have to. So like, The narrative, even, and how TV shows are constructed now is changing. Yes, and yeah. that's, I mean, that's that's perhaps the most important point here is that when you have no option, because you can't go to the cinema in a lot of places, I mean, in the UK, um, Cineworld, which is a really big chain mm-hmm. of, of cinemas in the UK and in America, has indefinitely shut every single one of its cinemas. That's 127 cinemas in the UK. It's over 500 cinemas in the US. And that's because big films like Je- the James Bond film, like Dune, Mulan was meant to come out in the cinemas but ended up on Disney+. Plus. If these guys can't make their money back in the cinemas, they're, they're going to delay and so the cinemas have to close. Mm-hmm. Which means that for us, even if lockdown is eased up and we can go outside, there's nothing to go to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially like even if you're trying to film something at the moment it's so impossible like it costs a lot more yeah because you know um there's tests for actors and everything you have yeah. to stay socially distanced so yeah. it's like that's even a, a lot harder to do and i do wonder maybe in five years time when we're looking back at this i mean hopefully we'll be looking back and we'll, we'll still not be in it um if there'll be kind of this like uh pre-covid and post-covid in terms of films yeah you know maybe. because like even i'm wondering if i'm watching a movie sometime in the future and I'll be like, oh, you know, I bet you that was made during coronavirus. Yeah. Because if people have to adhere to like social distancing restrictions and everything. And of course, like people, they're not going to try and show it. Yeah. But I just wonder, though, if there will be this shift in filmmaking yeah, and yeah. also in film distribution. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe all the sex scenes will be, will have been replaced with phone sex. Oh, my God. Maybe. Or Zoom that's sex. That's how you know. That's <laughs> yes. That's how you know it was COVID. Zoom will like sponsor everything. Yeah. <laughs> people kissing their webcams. Yeah. There actually was this. I don't know if you've seen it. It's so funny. Um, In an American soap opera, The Bold and the Beautiful, um, one character had a makeout scene. And obviously you couldn't do it with the actual actress. So he, they had to use a mannequin. <laughs> and it's so, oh, my God, it's so funny because you can just tell like it's taken from the back. Right. Like the mannequin is so stiff. Yes. And he's so passionate. Oh. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe she just, re- maybe it was a real woman and she just hated him. Oh my God. Yes. Maybe. You just thought this guy is a real turn off. <laughs> I'm really, I'm only doing this because it's in my contracts, but fuck you. And I'm not going to let you enjoy this kiss. Yeah. It's either that or it was a mannequin. But um, yeah. So just to, to round that off, like if we can't go anywhere else for our entertainment, uh-huh. we are at the mercy of Netflix and Amazon and uh-huh. and Disney Plus, and we're at the mercy of what they choose to show us. So if they figured out the way people's brains worked, that we get addicted to terrible shows like yeah. Emily in Paris, where's the incentive for them to produce art yes. and, and real quality and to tell new stories, challenging stories, and to give opportunities to young filmmakers and young writers and directors and producers who want to make things that 
haven't been done before Mm -hmm. and haven't been proven to get people binge watching but might end up being the next piece of real you know real a real cultural artifact yes yes yeah it could be that maybe people will turn to i mean obviously they won't be as good because the production value will be much lower like making their own uh, own things on youtube and everything because i feel like that's something that has also been getting bigger in the last few years for sure and and that will definitely continue to grow but it is that kind of when people want to watch something slick and smooth and well made, mm-hmm. it would be nice if it was also a good story that was well written and well acted. Yeah. And there was a point to it, not just kind of like this sort of low brow Emily. Yeah, in Paris yeah, stuff. I know what you mean, because I feel like um, that kind of HBO era yeah. is gone. Like, you know, all those great shows like yeah. um, Mad Men, yeah. like from, say, 10 years ago. I think there was this very solid golden era yes. when HBO became really big. Yeah. But now it's like... Um, streaming services have essentially like replaced uh, cable TV. Yes. You know what I mean? Like instead of um, channels, it's like, okay, will I go to Amazon or Disney Plus or yeah. Netflix? Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> sorry listeners, I hope I hope that hasn't <laughs> um, disappointed you. I think the message here is if your cinema's open, go and see something. Yeah. And it's, as well, I think it's actually a good opportunity now to maybe see something a bit different. Yes. Because, you know, you can't go to a pub, you can't go to a restaurant. So if you want to go somewhere nice and warm, yeah. go into the cinema and maybe see something that you would never think of seeing. Yeah, and actually, uh, that's just reminded me, and I'm I'm sorry, listeners, I don't have the details, but I'm sure you can Google it. I think in Amsterdam here, there is a monthly cinema pass. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, it's with Cineville. Right. But there's also one with Pathé. Right, okay. Yeah. And you pay a fix, and you can go to the cinema as many times as you want. Mm-hmm. So you could just, you know, 15 euros or something like that, go a couple of times a week, easily make your money back, support people who need your support right now. Yeah. And just watch some good films. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's it for the news this week. What's going on in Amsterdam, Nora? Oh, yes. So, of course, at the moment, you know, um, <laughs> there's not that many events. But one thing that's quite interesting is that on the 4th of November, Uva is hosting a webinar that is on all about the female orgasm. Great. So, yes, they are working with a sexologist. Sure. And they're asking questions such as, why did it take science so long to take an interest in female sexuality right. and the female orgasm? And, of course, they're going to be asking all about the clitoris. It's a, yeah. Yeah, and it's a live stream also. Great. Yeah, so we don't really know what we're going to be in for. It might just be a talk. It might also be essentially porn. Live porn, yes. <laughs> Maybe I mean, the Uva will just roll that out. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, I think that's fine as long as there's kind of, you know, there's a purpose to it. And it sounds, it sounds very educational. Yes, yes, of course, yes. And so joking, joking aside, an important thing to put out there that like, female sexuality the female body needs to be normalized oh yes 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 it does yeah 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 because i think like for years it's all been so male centered yeah. yeah and there's been this kind of a mystique and almost a danger from the male angle of like the taboo of female bodies yeah, which is yeah, just like what fucking, is it what? so excuse me excuse my language but is um oh, i'm about to do it again is bullshit oh yes yes of course yes yeah Okay, well, that sounds good. Yeah, so that should be interesting. That starts at 8 p.m. Okay. Yes. And there are also, um, museums are open in Amsterdam, which I feel like that's something that we're kind of um, forgetting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I guess there aren't really a lot of tourists around, but now would be a perfect time to check out all the museums. Yes. I went to the um, Van Gogh and... Oh, yeah, I've been there like three times. It's great. But it was, I mean, one, one good thing I will say for COVID 
is it's made museums really amazing places to visit. Mm. You have so much space. Yeah. And so much time to just stand in front of whatever it is you want to really take in without being jostled by other tourists and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely it's a nice. great place to go. Like instead, like if you can't hang out with someone in a restaurant or whatever, like you could always just pop into a museum. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I think that's all for this week. Yes. Laura, thank you. It's been a pleasure as always. Ah, oh, thank you. All right. We'll see you soon, listeners. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.